It's great to see you here today. We're going through a series called 40 Days in the Word. And during this time, we're asking everybody to read two chapters of the Bible every day. We want to make it a habit to read God's Word and to apply it to our life. We started in the book of Luke. We already read through all of Luke. Uh, then this week, we read through most of John. This next week, we're in John 19 through 21. That's pretty much the Easter story about Jesus's crucifixion and resurrection. And then we get into the book of Acts. We're reading through Luke, John, Acts, and Romans in this 40 days. And then my hope and desire is that when the 40 days is over, you continue to read. One lady sent me an email and she said, I got so excited reading that I couldn't stop. And I've already finished everything because she's reading it and she can't stop in two chapters a day. So uh, what do I do next? I said, keep going, keep going. So uh, that's the desire is that you'll keep going. So if you decide to read more than two chapters a day, there's no punishment, okay? You're allowed to. It's a good thing. This week, we're also going to be reading Acts chapter 1 through 11. You're going to read about Jesus ascending up to heaven. And then you're going to see the early church get started and how they start reaching people in Jerusalem and then Judea and then Samaria, and then they start reaching the Gentiles, the non-Jews. So you start seeing how the church grows through Acts. And I think uh, it's going to be exciting. And then uh, later on, we'll get into Romans. Romans is a, a great book to lay down a foundation for our faith and believing and that type of thing. So I think these 40 days, not only are you building a good habit of reading through the Bible, Uh, But you're going to learn some really good things. You're going to understand Jesus more and the early church and history more. And I encourage you, if you haven't started, to go ahead and start. Go ahead and start. Don't think like, oh, you know, they're starting week four and I haven't started yet. Don't worry about that. Just start reading in Luke and you'll get a lot out of it. Have you ever thought, I read the Bible, but I'm not getting anything out of it? Like I'm reading it, but... Either I'm not comprehending it or I'm not understanding it. And you felt like, I I don't know what to do. We're going to talk about that today. Why is it that I can read and not get anything out of it? We talked about inspiration a couple weeks ago, how the Word of God is inspired by God. Uh, Last week, we talked about foundation, the truths that you're going to gain from God's Word and how it's going to help you in your practical life. And this week, we're talking about illumination. I want to be enlightened. I want a mind that can read it and catch it. How does that happen? Well, as we read scripture, we see that God has sent the Holy Spirit to help you understand the Bible. The Holy Spirit is there to help. In your notes, you'll see John 14, 26, it says, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. That's Jesus speaking, and it's a promise from God that the Holy Spirit is here to enlighten you, to help you to understand. So that's good to know. Okay, if God's Spirit is with me, He can help me to read the Bible and start getting it. In John 14, 17, it says, He is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. Another promise from Jesus about the Holy Spirit, leading us to the truth. So I can read the Bible and get the truth out of it. 
How about John 16, 15? The spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. So Jesus is saying the things that are of me, the Holy Spirit will make it known to you. So you, when you're reading scripture, that should encourage you that if God's spirit is with me, he's going to help me to, to know these things that God wants me to know. In Ephesians 1, verse 17, it says, I ask the glorious Father and God of our Lord Jesus Christ to give you his spirit. The spirit will make you wise and let you understand what it means to know God. That's Paul speaking. It's a prayer that he's praying for the people, that we'd have the Holy Spirit to help us understand. So first of all, I want us to understand we're reading a supernatural book, and we've got supernatural help along the way with it, the Holy Spirit. And the book is so supernatural that while you're reading the book, you can stop and talk to the author anytime you want to. What book can you do that with? Usually if I read a book, I couldn't even find the author. I couldn't get in contact to him. I couldn't even call him. But when you're reading the Bible, you can just stop where you are and just talk to the guy that wrote it. So it's a supernatural book, and God sends his Holy Spirit to help you understand it. Look at this. Ephesians 1, 18 and 19. We just sang a song about this. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. You can maybe circle the words, the eyes of your heart. It's something spiritual going on. You have physical eyes, but then there's, with God working in you, you start spiritually seeing things that you never saw before. You have physical ears for hearing, but then, through God's Spirit, you start hearing things that you never heard before. You start feeling things that you've never felt before. There's a lot of spiritual things that are going on when you read the Bible, whether you realize it or not. There's a spiritual world. If you believe that there's God, there's a spiritual world. If you believe that there's angels, there's a spiritual world. If you believe that there's demons, there's a spiritual world. There's a spiritual world out there. There's a physical world. Everything in the physical world is temporary. It's going to pass away. Everything in the spiritual world continues on before and will continue to happen. It was through the spiritual world that the physical world was made because we believe that God created the universe. That's something spiritual creating something physical. The spiritual world is actually more real than the physical world. But because we live in the physical world, it's hard for us to understand that because we use our senses. Touch, seeing, hearing, taste, you know, all the senses that we have. We, we use those senses and the physical senses don't work in the spiritual world. And sometimes you have to just see things spiritually and hear things spiritually and you're enlightened by the Holy Spirit. You've experienced this probably when you've been reading the Bible and you've read this passage a hundred times and it never meant anything to you. And all of a sudden you read it one day and the light comes on. Boom. Wow. How did I never notice that? I mentioned a few weeks past maybe how I probably read through the Bible maybe 20 times. I don't know, but 
probably about 20 times. And there's still times they'll read something and I'll think, I never remember seeing that. How can that be? You can't read through the Bible 20 times and not remember seeing something, but I don't remember this. And it's because I didn't need it in the past. It wasn't something that I was going through in my life. But now all of a sudden, because it's a part of what I'm going through in my life, I read that same passage and I see things there that I probably just read right through and never paid attention to it. I didn't have any spiritual insight there. And I think it's because it wasn't a part of what I was thinking about at that time in my life. But I'm at a different time in my life and I see things there I didn't see before. And it's not a secret mystery. Like, wow, that's a mystery that nobody's seen. No, it's not like that. It's like, it's there. I just wasn't enlightened. I didn't have eyes to see. I didn't have ears to hear. There's a lot of things that prevent us from having eyes to see and ears to hear. And I'm going to look at some stories in the Bible today, and they're not about reading the Bible directly. The principles will relate to reading the Bible or hearing a message, where you can be sitting here and you could be hearing what I'm saying, and one person is getting spiritual insight, and the other person walks out of this, these doors with none. Or you're reading the Bible on your own, and one person's reading the same exact passage and getting spiritual insight, and the other person will read the very same passage and walk away from it, and it didn't impact their lives at all. But it's the same exact message. And it's not the Bible. The issue isn't about the Bible. The issue isn't about the message. The issue is more about me. Do I have ears to hear? Do I have eyes to see? And in these Bible passages, you're going to see how God opened up their eyes. And we need our eyes opened up to see things. So I want to talk about, first of all, what happens when God opens my eyes. Number one in your notes, I see the solution to my problems. In Genesis, Abraham was told that he's going to be the father of a great nation, that God would give him a son. The problem is he was 90 years old. So Sarah, his wife, who was also old, came up with a great plan. If God wants to make you into a great nation, you have to have a child. Why don't you have a relationship with my maidservant? Go through her. I'm too old. I'm probably never going to get a child. If I was going to have a child, it would have probably already happened by now. And Abraham agreed. And Hagar, the maidservant, gets pregnant and has a boy named Ishmael. Abraham takes Ishmael to God in a sense and says, this is the boy. You gave me a promise that from me is going to come a great nation. Here's Ishmael. And God says, that's not my plan. That's your plan. I never said, okay, I'm going to meet that need. Go commit adultery. That's going to help. Get somebody else pregnant that's not your wife. No, that's not God's plan. Now, do you know what God did? He blessed Ishmael. Ishmael ends up becoming a great nation. The Arabs today, they're all his descendants. So they did something that God didn't really want them to do. But God, he forgives, he gives, and he even blesses it. He blesses it. I say this to let you know one thing. When you think you've blown it, it's not that you want to blow it, but here's how, how amazing God is. He says, okay, you blew it. That was wrong. Okay, if you're willing to, I can use this for your good now. He said, well, it was bad what I did. Yeah, it was bad. I'll use it for your good if you let me. God used it for his good. 
He blesses this guy. He becomes a great nation. In fact, there's more nations that have come out of Ishmael than from Isaac, the promised child. So God's a good God. It's not to promote us making a mistake, but it's just to let us know God's amazing. Even when I mess up, he still will use it for my good if I let him. I have to allow him to. I have to submit myself to him and allow him to use it for the good. So Isaac comes to Sarah, his wife, and he becomes the father of the Jewish nation. Now, Sarah gets jealous of Hagar because she starts thinking, in their culture, the older son, who's ever the oldest one, is going to get the inheritance. So she starts getting worried about this. Like, wait a minute. The inheritance is going to go to her and her son. So Sarah kicks him out, says, you've got to leave. You can't be here anymore. Here's what it uh, says in Genesis. This isn't in your notes, I don't think. But in Genesis 21, verse 14, it says, Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He sent them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her own and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water and the skin was gone, she put the boy Ishmael under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down nearby, about a bow shot away. I like that. When you read the Bible, you know, we'd say about 100 meters away or however that would be, a bow shot, you know, because that's how they would measure. How far is it? Oh, about as far as you can shoot a bow and arrow. So about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there nearby, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what's the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift up the boy and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. We know the Arabs came from him. And then something happens. There's things that happen in your life where your eyes get open, and you see things that you didn't notice before. In Genesis 21, 19, this one's in your notes. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. The well of water was always there. It wasn't like God did a miracle in front of her, and by a miracle, there was a well of water. No, it was always there. She was so stressed out, she didn't have eyes to see the solution to her problem. And when you're reading the Bible and you're stressed out, you know what you're going to find? You're not going to have eyes to see the solutions to your problems. When you're stressed out, you can't concentrate on what you're reading. If you're stressed out today, you can't concentrate on what you're hearing because your mind is racing and racing and racing. And one of the things is, if you want to be able to hear God's word, you first have to deal with what's going on in the inside. So if I'm all stressed out, I've got to deal with that. I've got to give that stress to God. I've got to let it go. I've got to say, God, you're God and I'm not. You take this. And if I don't deal with what's going on in the inside, I can read the Bible from cover to cover and not get anything out of it. You can't get anything out of it if your own heart is in turmoil. She's sitting there. The well is right there in front of her. We're going to die. The water's right there. Stress causes you not to see things that you need to see. And when you're stressed out, it also affects you spiritually when you're trying to read the Bible. You can't see it. The answer for what you needed was right in the scripture, but you didn't see it because you're so stressed out. You can't even concentrate on what what you're reading about. 
So we need those times that our eyes are opened, but we need to deal with what's going on on the inside. Second thing is I see the barriers to my progress. You have things that you've been wanting to do, like start a business, start a family, get out of debt. Maybe you have a goal or a dream and you're trying to make progress and you keep bumping into a wall and you can't figure out what's going on. I'm trying. We have a story like this in Numbers 22 where Balaam, he's a prophet of God and he decides to help the bad guys and he makes God upset. So here's what happens on his journey to do so. It's in Numbers 22, 22. It says in the Bible, but God was furious that Balaam was going. So he sent the angel of the Lord to stand in the road to block his way. Balaam's donkey suddenly saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with the drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey bolted off the road into a field. But Balaam beat the donkey to get it back on the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood at a place where the road narrowed between two vineyard walls. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing there, it tried to squeeze by and it crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So Balaam beat the donkey. (laughs) He's angry. Balaam's angry. Then the angel of the Lord moved farther down the road and stood in a place so narrow that the donkey could not get by at all. This time the donkey saw the angel. It just laid down under Balaam, just sat down. In a fit of rage, Balaam beat it again with the staff. Balaam is angry. He is angry. And here's what happens. Numbers 22, 31. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road. Can you imagine that? Because the angel has a sword like ready to kill him with his sword drawn. So he bowed low and, and fell face down. He needed his eyes open. Anger. If you're angry right now, if you're angry right now, you can't hear the message. Have you ever done this? Have you ever gotten in a fight with your husband or wife and you're angry about it and then you try to open up the Bible and read? Waste of time. This has happened to me. My wife and I, we'd get in an argument about something and then I'm just so frustrated. Then I go, like, maybe I was going to read my Bible, maybe preparing for a message or even just for my Bible time and open it up and I can read the whole page and I won't remember anything I read. You know why? My mind is just going over and over about the argument. It blocks you. You can be here today in church, and if you're angry, you won't get anything out of the message today. Somebody else sitting right next to you might walk out of here and feel so blessed. You can read the Bible and get nothing out of it. Anger, it blinds you. It prevents you from hearing. It prevents you from seeing. So there again, you have to deal with your anger. You've got to forgive. You've got to let things go. You're not going to get anything from God's word, when there's that type of turmoil going on in the inside. It blocks you from understanding, from hearing, from reading. Then, number three, I see the defense for what's attacking me. Everybody feels under attack at different points. Maybe you feel attacked by germs and you're sick all the time. Or maybe you've lost your job and your income and you feel like you've been financially attacked or maybe your retirement was lost. Maybe you're under attack by a friend or former friend or family member. Maybe your own mind is attacking you. And you feel beaten down and you think you're alone. In 2 Kings chapter 6, we have a story of Elisha. There's a nation called Aram. And they're at war with Israel. And every time 
Aram attacks Israel, Israel always defeats him because God reveals to Elisha the prophet, he reveals to him what their king's plan is. And so Elisha goes and tells his king, here's what they're planning to do. God told me. So then Israel comes ready, and every time they go, it's like, they knew what we were going to do. How is that possible? And here's what happens in the scripture. Verse 10 of 2 Kings chapter 6. This happened several times. So the king of Aram became very upset over it. He called his officers and he demanded, which of you is the traitor? Obviously one of them. Who has been informing the king of Israel of my plans? They said, it's not us. Then one of the officers replied, Elisha, the prophet of Israel, tells the king of Israel even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. The king said, you go find where Elisha is, and we're going to send troops to seize him. The report came back. Elisha's at Dothan, a small town there. So one night, the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. When Elisha's servant got up early the next morning and went outside, he saw the city surrounded by troops, by chariots and by horses. He runs back in and tells Elisha, what do we do now? He cries to Elisha. Elisha replied, don't be afraid, for there are more on our side than on theirs. There's just him and Elisha. He said, what? He opens up. Let me see outside again. There's a thousand of them out there, more than a thousand. What are you talking about? And here's what Elisha does. This one's in your notes. Elisha prayed, oh, Lord, open his eyes so he may see Do you know why he's blind? Fear. Fear blinds you. When you're afraid, you can't concentrate. Let's say that you're someone that gets really nervous about going to the doctor. You're afraid of what the report's going to be. And you try to read the Bible before you go. You're not going to get anything out. You you won't think about a word you read. You're just going to be thinking of dread and going to the doctor. Or whatever you're afraid of. I don't know what you're afraid of, but fear will block you. Maybe You have to have a meeting with your boss, and you have a fear that you might lose your job. You're trying to read the Bible, but you can't because the whole time your mind's thinking the solution for the answer might be right there. But the fear prevents you from hearing. It prevents you from seeing. If you're afraid about something right now, what I'm saying can go right in one ear and out the other because it's hard for you to concentrate on it. Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes so that he may see Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked, and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. He actually saw the spiritual world. He says, we're outnumbered, and then opened his eyes. And when his eyes were opened, now he's not afraid. Now he sees the truth. But I'm telling you, when you have fear in your heart, you can't get stuff out of this Bible. There's too much turmoil going on in the inside. These guys get spiritually blinded. Elisha leads them right into where the Israeli army is. Okay? So they're there, and they're surrounded, and now these guys are going to get slaughtered. Okay? And here's what Elisha prays later on. Oh, Lord, now open their eyes. He's talking about the bad guys. Let them see. And the Lord did, and they discovered that they were in Samaria. They look, and Samaria is where the Israeli army is. They're surrounded 
by not the chariots of fire, the, the spiritual world, but now he's led them. Now they're surrounded by the Israelites. They're about to get slaughtered. When Elisha's king, the king of Israel, saw the captive enemy army, he shouted to Elisha, shall I kill them? Of course not, Elisha told him. Do we kill prisoners of war? Give them food and drink and then send them home. You know what they did? They made a big feast, fed all those enemy soldiers, you know, wine and water and, and food and big feast, fed them really well. I said, okay, you guys get out of here. And you know what? They never came back. They never attacked them. That, was a, that ended the war. They didn't try to attack Israel ever again. You know, the best way to stop an enemy is to turn him into your friend. See, people have a weird view of God. They think that God's out to zap people. God's not wanting to kill. Let's kill them. They're the bad guys. Let's just wipe them out. No, that's never God's desire. His desire was to change their hearts so they would stop attacking Israel and stop fighting and, and do the right thing. Now, sometimes people are so rebellious that a country has to defend themselves. But your desire is always to have peace if you can work it out. But fear blinds you from seeing. It blinds you from hearing. You have to work on what's going on in the inside. Then number four, I see how God is walking with me. I see how God is walking with me. You may have felt you're alone. You're fighting the battle on your own, and you don't feel like God's with you. You're wrong. God is with you. In Luke 24, it had been seven, over the last 72 hours, what happened in this passage is Jesus was arrested. He was crucified. Then on Easter morning, some of the women went to the tomb and saw his body was gone. And they said angels appeared and told him that he'd risen. They ran back to see the disciples and tell them what had happened. The disciples ran over to look. And sure enough, there was no body there. But at this point, no one had seen Jesus yet, but the rumors had already started spreading that he rose back to life. People were already thinking this. Now, over the next 40 days, he's going to appear to a lot of people. There's even times that he appears to over 500 people at once. But at this time, he hadn't appeared to uh, anybody yet. In fact, the amazing thing is the number one reason why the church in Jerusalem grew so fast is because there were so many people in Jerusalem that were eyewitnesses of Jesus after he rose back to life. And people think, like, how did it, during that time, in 25 years, the church in Jerusalem started with 120 people, and in 25 years, it grew to 100,000, 50% of the population. And by the way, all 200,000 people, th these were all Jews. These were all Jews. And 50% of them became Christians. 100,000 people. At that time, obviously, the largest church, and for years, the largest church that had ever happened until more recent times. So, you know, how did that happen? They, there were so many eyewitnesses that it makes it easier for people to share their faith. And when you're an eyewitness, you're more bold about your faith. You say, I saw it with my own eyes. He was with me. He talked to me. That's why uh, the church grew so fast in Jerusalem. But Here's what happens. There's two guys walking, and it says this. They're in grief. You know, they're grieving over what had just happened. They're uh, disciples. Suddenly, Jesus himself came along and joined them and began walking beside them. But they didn't know who he was. 
because God kept them from recognizing him. Jesus said, you seem to be in a deep discussion about something. What are you so concerned about? They stopped uh, short, sadness written on their faces, and said, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened these last few days. Jesus said, what things? And the disciples said, the things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth. He was a prophet who did wonderful miracles. He was a mighty teacher, highly regarded both by God and all the people. But our leading priest and other religious leaders arrested him and handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had thought he was the Messiah. See, they figured if he died, he must not have been the Messiah. We had thought he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. That all happened three days ago, they continued. Then some women were, uh, were at his tomb early this morning and came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing and that they had seen angels who told them that Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, Jesus' body was gone, just as the women had said. Then Jesus said, you're so foolish. You find it so hard to believe, because they were believing, like, he can't be the Messiah if he's dead. You find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted by the prophets that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering into his time of glory? Then Jesus quoted passages from the writings of Moses and all the prophets. This is all the Old Testament writings, explaining what all the scriptures said about him. Like, it's in the Old Testament, a thousand years before Jesus came, where it talks about Jesus being crucified. It doesn't use the word crucified. It says, they pierced his hands and feet. They gambled for his clothing. You know, it's in uh, 700 years before Jesus came that Isaiah talks about he's going to be a suffering servant. Where Isaiah says, the virgin will be with child and give birth to a son, and we will, name, and we will call him Emmanuel, God with us. All that's in the Old Testament. None of that's in the New Testament. That's in the Jewish Bible. And he's taken the Jewish Bible because they're all Jews and shown him all the things that says, it says this is going to happen. If you believe the scriptures, this shouldn't shock you at all. It's been in there forever. You know, that type of thing. People think the Old Testament is about Israel. The New Testament is about Jesus. No, it's all about Jesus. The Old Testament is metaphors and analogies and prophecies and statements and predictions all about Jesus. Then in the New Testament, you have the gospel writings while Jesus is actually alive. Then all the writings afterwards are about Jesus came. It's all about Jesus from cover to cover. Um, so he's explaining to them from, their, from the Bible there. And this says, by this time they were nearing Emmaus. That's where they were walking to. And the end of their journey, Jesus would have gone on, but they begged him to stay the night with them since it was getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, Jesus took a small loaf of bread, asked God's blessing on it, broke it, and then gave it to them. And then in your notes, Luke 24, 31, then their eyes were opened. There it is again. And they recognized him, and then he disappeared from their sight. Grief causes you not to hear. Grief causes you not to see. If you're grieving and you try to read the Bible, you're not going to get anything out of it. You're not going to be able to concentrate on it. I need to deal with my grief. What I'm saying is there's a, a lot of the reasons why we're not getting things out of the Bible when we're reading it is because we have so much terminal, turmoil going on on the inside. If I'm worried about this, it's hard for me to concentrate in the Bible. You know, you can have a daily Bible time and get nothing out of it. 
if you're reading it, but you're worried about something. If you're reading it, but you're angry at your wife or husband. If you're reading it and you're feeling guilty and your mind's running in these ways. If I don't deal with what's going on the inside, what's the use of reading the Bible? You won't get anything from it anyway. Your mind isn't receptive. Your heart isn't receptive. Your eyes can't see. Your ears can't hear. You've got to deal with what's going on at the inside. But maybe you're here today and you say, but Jimmy, that's not my problem. I'm not going through worry and stress and anger and there's not a lot of emotional stuff happening in me. In my case, that's not why I'm not receiving. It's something else. Well, then it says here to see what God wants me to see. Then you have to consider this. Number one, I must begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. You have to consider. If the Holy Spirit comes and teaches me, and I'm not stressed out about things in life, and I'm still not getting anything out of the Scripture, I need to ask myself, do I have a relationship with Jesus? You know, because that's where it all starts. If I don't have a relationship with Jesus, I'm spiritually blind. You know, I can't, I, I first need to know Christ. The Bible uses the word born again. Have you started that new life with Christ? Until you begin that relationship, you're still seeing things from a human for, viewpoint. You can read the Bible from a human viewpoint and not see it with spiritual eyes. Look at what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2.14. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. If you don't know God, you're going to read the Bible, and it's going to feel like it's nonsense. If you don't know God, if you don't believe, it's going to... I don't even believe this, or you read it, oh, this is just a bunch of nonsense. Someone can read the Bible, and it doesn't mean that they're going to be enlightened. They first have to have a relationship with God. Look at 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. The devil who rules this world has blinded the minds of those who do not believe. They cannot see the light of the good news. They can't see it. They're blinded. They're blinded by their own unbelief. So, oh, this is hogwash. I don't believe this. They're not even open to it. You have to ask yourself, do I have a relationship with God? Uh, John 3.3, 3, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. But let's say you say, Jimmy, I have a relationship with God. Okay, I do. I know I do. And I'm not in turmoil. It's not anything going on this side. But I'm still not getting it. I'm still not getting it. Well, then the next thing that you need to consider is, number two, I must ask God in faith to open my eyes. A lot of reasons we're not getting it is we don't ask God to enlighten us. We don't seek him in faith, and God, help me to understand what you want me to understand in this scripture. In Psalms 119, 18, it says, Open my eyes that I may see the wonderful things in your law. There are wonderful things in the Bible. Their law, that was their Bible. That's what they would call it in those days, is the, the law, meaning that this was written in the Old Testament. There are wonderful things in the Bible. And he's saying, open my eyes, God, that I might see. Do you go to God in faith and ask him to enlighten you? Look at James 1, 5, and 6. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. One of the things is we have not because we ask not. It's saying if you need that wisdom from God, ask him. He gives generously. To, and it says without finding fault, meaning you can't say, God, I'm unworthy. You'll never help me. Because he's going to give it to you generously without finding fault. 
He wants to enlighten you. He wants you to read his word and gain from it. Matthew 7, 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Psalms 32, 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. God wants to teach you. God wants you to read the Bible and get everything out of it that you can. But if you're not getting anything out of it, and it's not those other issues, then you have to consider, maybe I'm just not asking God. Like every day when you, when you read the Bible, start by praying, God, help me to understand. Help me to learn what you want me to learn so that I can apply it to my life. But you might be saying, I do that. I do that, and I still read the Bible and don't get things out of it. Then number three, I come with a humble attitude. Maybe you're not getting something out of it because maybe your attitude's not humble. What do I mean by that? If you have the attitude like, I don't need the Bible to help me with my marriage, that's a prideful attitude. I know more than God knows. I don't need the Bible to help me with my finances. That's a prideful attitude. I know more than what God knows. When people have an attitude like that, why would he enlighten you? Have you ever talked to friends that needed help and you try to guide them with wisdom that you know is wisdom and they don't apply it to their life? So then you quit trying, you know, because why would you keep trying? You know, okay, I'm just not going to say anything. They don't listen anyway. God will do that with you. If you're not willing to listen anyway, why would he enlighten you? The number one problem can be my attitude's not humble. I should be reading the Bible, seeking him for the answers. In Psalms uh, 25, 9, he guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. So ask yourself, maybe I'm not getting anything out of it because I'm just not humble. I think I, I, think I know it all anyway. I know it all isn't going to get any help from God. Once you humble yourself and say, okay, God, I'm willing to learn. Now you're going to get somewhere. But maybe you're going to say, in my case, it's not an attitude of, uh, I'm humble about it. I know I don't know it all. And I'm honest. I read the Bible wanting to get help. I don't think like, oh, my way is my way or the highway. I'm not one of those type of guys or people. Well, number four is I cleanse my heart of sin and conflict. One of the reasons why you might not be getting anything out of Scripture is sin. Sin in your life. Sin in your life does block your relationship with God. In Matthew 5, 8, it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You can't see it if your heart's not pure. Doesn't mean perfect. Nobody here is going to be perfect, okay? But you have to have a pure heart. A pure heart is to agree with God. If God says, that's wrong, I agree. If God says, that's right, I agree. A pure heart is a heart that lines up with God. It's not a heart that's perfect. Have you known in your heart that something was wrong and you messed up and did it? And then afterwards, you feel guilty about it because you agree with God that it's wrong, right? That's a sign of a spiritual heart, okay? But let's say I do something I know is wrong, but... I don't care. I don't feel guilty about it. I, you know, that's not a heart that's pure toward God. You know? Or maybe the Bible says it's wrong, but I don't believe it's wrong, so I'm going to do what I want. So to have a pure heart means that you agree with God. You're on the same page. It doesn't mean you're perfect. 
It means you're on the same page. Do you understand what I'm getting there? You're on the same page. What's wrong is wrong. What's right is right. And you know it. And you agree with them. And even though you're human and you know that you shouldn't blow up at your husband or wife when you're angry, but that day it happened. Boom. And you 100% know that that was wrong. And you feel like, oh, I wish I didn't do that. Because you agree with God. You agree with God. If you don't agree, agree with God, you blow up at them and you say, they deserved it. Why? Because you don't agree with God. You don't have a pure heart before God. So a pure heart is agreeing with God. It's not being perfect. No one's ever going to be perfect. But if my mind is filled with garbage, bitterness, lust, resentment, guilt, anger, jealousy, whatever is filling your mind, if it's not clean, you have to get it clean. If it's not pure before God, you have to get it, get it pure. Look at this verse here. 1 John 2, 11, whoever hates his brother is in the darkness. They can't see you. They're in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. The Bible says, if I hate somebody, I'm in the dark. I'm spiritually in the darkness. I'm not physically in the darkness. There's light. I'm spiritually in the darkness. I'm spiritually can't hear. How can I love God and hate my, hate my brother? How can I love God whom I don't see and hate my brother who, I'm, who I do see? The Bible over and over says when you have conflict with somebody, you have to forgive them. You have to let it go. Unforgiveness is a sin that can cause you not to hear from God. I can't let go of the grudge. Well, let me tell you what. You're not holding on to the grudge. The grudge is holding on to you. And it's going to bring you down. You've got to deal with that. You've got to forgive. It's a self-imposed prison of pain. And until you let it go, you're never going to get, get your life back. Like I've said several times, shame on them for what they did to me. Shame on me for keeping it. I've got to forgive it and let it go and move on, or it's going to destroy me. So it could be, if, you're not, if, you, can't read, if you can't get anything out of Scripture, it's because there's a sin in your life, and you know it's wrong, and you've got to repent and get right with God. Repent and get right with God. You do that, now all of a sudden, you're back seeing things spiritual again. If you say, no, 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 there's no sin going on in my life, if that's not it, then it might be number five here. I commit uh, in advance to do what God says. The unqualified, unconditional obedience. God, I'm telling you in advance, I'm going to do what you want me to do, even if I don't like it. Even if I don't want to, even if it is unpopular with my friends, even if it's not easy, oh, that's so hard to do, but, but I told God I'm going to do the right thing no matter what. No matter what, I'm going to do the right thing. When you're reading the Bible, if you have the attitude of, I'm going to read it, and then afterwards I'm going to decide if I obey what he says or not, then you don't need to read the Bible because you can already do what you want to do. You're already living that path, right? Why bother? If you read the Bible, I'm going to decide what I'm going to... Okay, I like that one, so I'll do that one. I don't like this commandment, so I'm not going to do that one. Then you're wasting your time reading the Bible because you're already going to do what you want to do. It's not going to help your life. There's zero impact. And why would you waste your time? Why would you waste a minute of your day reading something with zero impact? Absolutely no good for your life. But if you're reading it and you say, God, whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do it. You read it, and then it says something like, 
honor your mother and father, and you're thinking, oh, because you just think of what happened over the last two weeks with mom. And you read that and say, God, I don't feel like doing this right now. I'm upset with her about what she said. And, but I'm doing it because I made a commitment to you that I'm going to obey you. You know, the commitment was made before I read the Bible. I already decided, God, whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do it. And then I said, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to make this straight with mom and I'm going to do my part and, you know, and I'm going to uh, talk to her and forgive her and love her because she's my mom and I'm going to honor her. Not that everything she does is good, but I'm going to honor her. I'm going to do the right thing no matter what it costs me. And in this one, it's going to cost me a little bit of pride, you know, but whatever it costs you. You're not going to be enlightened at the scripture if you have no intention of really obeying it anyway. God's not going to waste his time on you on that. It's, it's like, why? You don't have the desire to, to obey. In Psalms 119, 33 and 34, it says, Teach me, O Lord, to follow your decrees. Then I will keep them to the end. Give me understanding, and I will keep your law and obey it with all my heart. That's the attitude that God's looking for. God, I'm going to obey it with all my heart. Not when it's convenient, even when it's inconvenient. Is it inconvenient to do the right thing sometimes? Yeah. It's inconvenient sometimes to do the right thing. Is it hard to do the right thing sometimes? Yeah. It's hard to do the right things. You know, I think as a parent, you know, when you have kids, uh, and I believe, you know, I'm, it's not like I have a Bible verse to point out this, but I just want to show what I believe personally in my family situation. I believe my kid, kids need a balanced life. So I believe it's the right thing for me to let this kid get into a soccer team, for example, and I take them to soccer practice every time, and I take them to the games, because I think they need something like that in their life. And then uh, I think, uh, you know, there's certain things that kids need, and you put all this extra hours into this thing, but do you feel like doing that? Do you always feel like taking a kid to soccer practice? Do you feel like it? No, there's a lot of times that you just don't, because like, oh, I had a hard day. I just want to go home and take a shower and just take a break, but they've got soccer practice today. And you know what I do? I go home and take them to soccer practice. You know, um, that's just an example. But what I'm trying to say is it doesn't feel good to do the right thing all the time, but I know it's right. It's something that I believe you know, I'm teaching him commitment. He made a commitment to the team. He needs to go to practice. You know, there's a lot of reasons why you want these things to happen, but it's not at no cost. Sometimes it's a great cost. Now, if I'm relaxed and happy, no problem. But when you've worked all day or you had a late night, and now you have to come home and take care of that too, and everything inside you wants to go to bed, it's a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice sometimes to do the right thing. But you're saying, I'm going to do the right thing no matter what. I've said this several times over the years. I'd rather die for what's right than live for the wrong things. Is there anything worth dying for in you? Is there anything worth dying for? I'd rather die for the right things than to live for the wrong things. If there were more people willing to die for the right things and live for the wrong things, there'd be a lot less problems in the world. 
There'd be a lot less problems. Now, the difference between Christianity and some other uh, things that I'm talking about biblical Christianity, maybe if you look at history, you say, wow, we haven't always done this. A Christian's willing to die for the right thing. There are religions out there that are willing to kill for the right thing. There's a drastic difference between people trying to kill for the right thing. If you look at Christian history, there's been, you know, Christians that maybe not, aren't really Christian because if a Christian is Christ-like, then they have the Christian label, but they weren't really Christians. But, uh, but you look at what biblical Christianity is, it's, you know, we're willing to die for what's right. You're not willing to kill for what's right. In James 1.22, it says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. The whole point is, God, I'm reading the Bible because I want to do it. I believe that if you deal with these five areas that we just looked at, and you've dealt with the emotions that are going on in the inside of your mind, like stress and fear and anger and grief and all those type of things, I believe if you're dealing with what's going on, the turmoil inside, and if those five things are in order, I feel like it's impossible for you to read the Bible and not gain from it. I feel like it's impossible for you to read the Bible and not gain from it or to hear a message and not gain from it, you know. So I think God wants you to get everything from his word that you can. But sometimes there's things that are going on inside me that's preventing me from connecting with God and really getting his word into my life. Now, some people don't like to read. They're just not, it's not an enjoyable thing for them. But nowadays, it's so great because you can put the um, CD in and listen to it. You know, just listen to it. On my phone and my Bible, because uh, I carry my Bible with me everywhere I go, because I have the app here. But on my app, it has two options. I can read it, but there's a button I can tap it and listen to that chapter. And it will keep going to the next chapter, tap it and listen to it. So I don't have to read it all the time. I can listen to it while I'm relaxing and just concentrating on it. But if you don't like to read, that shouldn't be an issue because there's other options. Uh, You know, I understand people like to read. Other people like to hear it and stuff like that. But you should be getting God's word in you, and you should be, it should be making a difference in your life. Like, wow, I get it. If not, look at these things and see if there's anything that you need to work on or remove or get right so that when you're reading the Bible, you're getting what God wants you to get. With this, let's pray. Dear God, we want to thank you that you want to change our life with your word. And Lord, you want to give us a better life. But there's things that go on inside us or there's issues that we're having that's blocking us from you. So, Lord, we're making a commitment as a family to deal with those issues, to work on those issues, to get ourselves in a place so that we can spiritually hear, we can spiritually see what you want us to see, and it can change our life for the better. It's in Jesus' name that we make this commitment. Amen.